you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. You can, you can go back. We're going to read the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. If you have your Bibles, grab them out, or you can have a look on the screen or listen along. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, City on a Hill. How are we? Good. Happy New Year. Great to be back with you as we launch into our new series on prayer. Let's pray. Our great Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask for your help. Help us listen to Jesus' words and then help us to live them. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I'm very excited to be back with you all. Great to be back together for a new year of great things. And to be honest, I missed you. Been away the last couple of weeks, missed gathering together. If you're new to City on a Hill, it's great that you've joined us, whether you're on holidays or thinking about making this your church. A fantastic thing for you to be here. We're a church all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And part of that means vulnerability. We really want to be an honest community, a humble community that's open and honest with one another. We want this to be a safe space. So with that in mind, please take a deep breath and answer the following question honestly. Who's already made and broken a New Year's resolution in 2023? (laughs) Yeah, a couple, couple. Yeah, I thought there'd be more, but let let me poke and prod a little further. Who's just given up making New Year's resolutions altogether because they know, yeah, there it is. I'm with you. I'm a shocker for that. I don't know what it is, but but every year in that kind of 10-day period between Christmas and now where no one really knows what day it is, I just managed to generate a disproportionately high amount of faith in my future self. 
Anyone with me? You look ahead to the year ahead and think, I'm going to be great. Never mind what this year was, next year will be better. And then it gets to about the 8th of January and realize I'm still me and there's still work to do. I've made many New Year's resolutions over the years. I've made them about exercise, reading goals, work goals, gardening. That was a hilarious one. And, uh, and I, as I was thinking, I think that the one area where I've made more New Year's resolution than any other has to be in the area of prayer. To be honest, I, I don't have the kind of prayer life I wish I had. And to be fair, I don't know many people who do. But constantly, as I look ahead... I find myself longing and hoping and planning to pray more prayers, to pray better prayers. And so it's a great thing to be in this series as we start the new year, as we look ahead to whatever is in front of us, to think about the prayers we find in Scripture, see what we can learn and what they might teach us about God and our prayer life. And so as we kick off this series, I want to spend time in Matthew 6 together. It would be great to have that open in front of you, either digitally or with a real Bible if you can. Uh, And we're going to look at Jesus' most extensive and explicit teaching on prayer. As we do that, I I think and I hope it'll lead us into some slightly unexpected directions when it comes to our prayers for the year ahead. So I've got three headings to help us get a handle on this. We've got the pattern, the principle, and then our prayers. The pattern, the principle, and then our prayers. So let's start with the pattern. Right at the top of Matthew chapter 6, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus sets up the pattern that he's going to talk about for the rest of this chapter. Because here he's going to talk about doing good things for bad reasons. Doing the right things for the wrong audience. Verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He's taking aim at a kind of empty religion. And and to unpack this pattern, Jesus goes after the big three, giving, praying, and fasting. These were probably the big three pillars of Jewish spirituality at the time. The, The things you tended to measure your faithfulness by. And so as Jesus speaks to this topic He's going to perform open-heart surgery on the religious leaders in front of him, listening to this sermon. And he starts with giving in verse 2. He says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. A couple of things to notice here. The first one is giving is assumed. He says, when you give, not if. Because giving is a good and godly thing to do. It's in the Old and New Testament as a faithful and important way of worshipping God. So if that's your New Year's resolution this year, it's a good one. But there is a way to do it wrong. And it involves trumpets. Giving with great fanfare. Tooting your own horn with your generosity. This is a guy who walks past the homeless man and then takes a selfie as he drops a coin into the cup. It's the woman who insists on having their name on the wall as the primary donor, or, or the company who makes sure their pro bono social involvement is very highly publicized. See, at some point you're not really seeking to do justice or be generous or even to worship God with your resources. You're not trying to help the poor and needy. 
you're helping yourself. It is possible, Jesus is saying, to have a social conscience out of self-interest. To be really generous and really selfish at the same time. So what's the solution? Secrecy. A kind of private generosity. And Jesus' suggestion seems a little bit strange in verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, there's a very weird but literal way of interpreting this, which would be to have some sort of lobotomy and separate your left and right hemispheres from one another so that you actually could not know what your left hand is doing at any given time. That would be a very expensive misinterpretation of this verse. Because what Jesus is simply saying is, when you give, don't make it obvious. When you give, don't go out of your way to make it noticeable. Try and give without the receiver knowing. You can have some fun with that this week. But that's the pattern. Don't do the wrong things, the right things for the wrong audience. Don't do good things for bad reasons. And, And what Jesus says about giving sets up this pattern for the rest of the passage as he goes on to talk about prayer. He takes prayer and he applies the same idea this time in verse five. Look with me. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, praying to be heard by people rather than God, that's deeply problematic. I remember in my younger days, I went on a whole lot of Christian camps, and they were fantastic but it did, mean, it did mean I made some very, very Christian friends. Super Christian friends. And, and they were just so wonderful as people. They, they were really godly, really kind, really helpful. They just happened to also own a lot of Aslan t-shirts. And when you're surrounded by super Christian friends all the time, like I was, you can find some very, very funny ways of sinning. I'm not proud of this, but I have before in my youth used prayer as a sort of pickup line. (laughs) For this to work, you really need to pick your audience, okay? It doesn't work for everybody, but if you can craft your prayers just so and read the room just right, you can share an intimate spiritual moment with somebody and manage to demonstrate that you're kind and caring, and wise, and godly, and thoughtful, and funny, and most of all, super, super humble. (laughs) And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, Don't do that. Public prayer is not wrong, okay? We need to get that clear. Jesus commends it, and he gives us a prayer to pray in public in like three verses' time. The whole series is based on prayers in the Bible for our benefit, that we might read and learn and be encouraged and inspired to pray. But but here's the question to ask yourself when it comes to prayer. Do you pray differently when people are watching? Do you pray differently when people are watching? Maybe you use a slightly different vocabulary. I swear I knew a guy once 
who adopted a slightly British accent when he prayed. Maybe you pray more when you know other people are watching. Or the opposite side of the same coin, maybe you pray less when you know people are watching because you're nervous what they'll think of you. It's the same problem though, isn't it? Whether you do the right things for the wrong audience or fail to do good things because you're so concerned about the audience. The point is when your prayers are talking to people, they may not be talking to God at all. Certainly, they're not going to get any reward from him, even in prayer, what what seems like the most religious of activities. You can do the right things for the wrong audience. You can go through the religious motions and miss the point entirely. Now, it's not just prayer we do this with, is it? Jesus talks about giving. He'll talk about fasting next, or, or it could be our serving our suffering, our leading, preaching. Maybe you serve on some sort of team here. Maybe you lead a gospel community. Maybe you wear one of the welcome shirts. Maybe you just have a real effort to be generous when the opportunity arises. And from time to time, as you serve, as you give, even as you pray, you will be seen doing those things. And Jesus says that's okay. We're not trying to avoid being seen at all costs. In fact, Jesus says in the very same sermon, being seen doing godly things is good. In chapter 5, he says these words, which come up a bit around these parts. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We want to let our light shine so that people would see it, but but the key is at the end there, and praise your Father in heaven. It's when you want people to praise you instead of him, That's when you've got it all wrong. It's a twisted kind of plagiarism. Where you plagiarize God's glory, he alone is the one worthy of all the credit, and you're stealing it. You're not actually interested in helping the poor or needy, you're just helping yourself. You're not praying genuine prayers, you're buying status points in the eyes of others. And you know the single biggest problem with doing that? It totally works. It works. Look look with me in verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They get a reward. There's a reward here. People will see you giving or serving or praying. And if you do it just right, they might be kind of impressed. You may well earn a golf clap for your righteousness. And it will feel good for a moment. The problem is it's fickle and it's fleeting and it will not satisfy you. 
because quickly that becomes an exhausting treadmill of trying to keep impressing people all the time. It begins to erode the kind of humble and honest and vulnerable community that God wants us to be. Eventually you find yourself keeping the real you further and further from the public eye so that no one ever sees behind your mask. But Jesus says there's a better way. There's a better way than that, which brings us to our next section, the principle. In this passage, there's one key principle, one key idea that runs through the whole thing that's a bit like the pin in the grenade, right? It's small, and you might miss it if you're not looking for it, but it's by far the most important bit. At the heart of this passage is a single idea so powerful that it can genuinely free you from the shackles of public opinion. An idea so revolutionary that it could actually give you the kind of prayer life we only dream about. You ready for it? Father. Father. Look again at this passage and see how much that word comes up. By my count in these verses, it's no less than 10 times that Jesus refers to God as our Father. Your Father who sees in secret. Your Father will reward you. Your Father knows what you need. Our Father in heaven. Father. Now, at first, we might not think too much of this, but you've got to understand For Jesus to start talking about God like this makes everyone around him really nervous. Let let me try and explain with kind of an illustration. This is a picture of N.T. Wright. Fetching, isn't he? In theological circles, N.T. Wright is kind of a big deal. In biblical studies, he's... He's just enormous. People love his stuff. He's written some very influential books. If you had to pick an equivalent, N.T. Wright is a bit like Beyonce when it comes to theological... You can see the the obvious similarities. So if you're a theology nerd, N.T. Wright's a big deal. If you wear tweed jackets, if you love Jesus, I'm not sure what the ancient Hebrew word for bootylicious is, but N.T. Wright has to be the one you have in mind. He's just a rock star. And a couple of years back, I was studying at Ridley College. It was not a huge Bible college, but N.T. Wright came to visit us. And this was a really big deal. N.T. Wright came to see us. And you knew it was a big deal because all the lecturers dressed up in their best clothes, right? They had on their secondhand suits and their hand-knitted bow ties to say, I want to be professional, but I'm not materialistic. (laughs) And everything was going very smoothly until N.T. Wright met Pete. Pete was a hip-hop artist. He became converted later in life, and he decided to come to Bible college to get to know Jesus better and understand the Bible more. He's kind of a loose cannon, but he was great value, and he could not care less about who's who in the theological studies world. He had no idea who N.T. Wright was. And and so you can imagine, the room was a little bit anxious when we're at lunch, the dining room's watching on, and Pete sits down next to N.T. Wright. 
Hi, I'm Pete, says Pete. Tom, says N.T. Wright. Tom, first name, imagine that. <laughs> and then Pete says, Tom, you look really familiar. I, I've seen you around somewhere. I, I'm just... You're the guy who does the gardening around here, aren't you? <laughs> now take that feeling right there, right? That, that horror, that humour, that just terrifically awkward moment. Take that emotion and understand that's exactly how people felt when Jesus started talking about God as Father. You can't do that. That's not how this works. Nobody's done that before. Jesus is using probably the Aramaic word Abba, which means Father, and it's a word of closeness, of intimacy, and it just feels wrong. It feels so presumptuous for Jesus to start talking about God like this because the words and descriptions we're supposed to use of God are all about how big and strong he is, how holy, how righteous, how powerful, how sovereign, how he created everything, how he controls everything, how he's above and beyond everything, but not intimate, not close, not dad. But Jesus goes straight there. He's not denying any of the holiness or the sovereignty or the power of God when he calls him dad, but he is making a staggering point that this God wants to be this close. This God wants to be this close. The God of all things wants to call you family. That has the power to change everything. When you begin to understand that this God wants to be this close to you, doesn't that begin to free you from the shackles of public opinion? When you see that this God wants your time and your attention and your affection, suddenly you don't need to start living for the acceptance of anyone else. This God wants to hear you pray. How could it possibly matter who else is listening? The pattern in Matthew 6 is clear. Don't do the right things to please the wrong audience. But the principle behind it is this. God is your father. Why would you want to? What could you possibly be missing that they can give you? This God has come this close. What other love and acceptance could you possibly want? Because this, this is a kind of love and acceptance and closeness that can actually satisfy us. This might be the greatest gift that the gospel offers us, that Jesus Christ left his home in heaven. He died on the cross for our sins. And in doing so, he didn't just make us clean. He brought us close. It shouldn't be possible for us to be this close to this God. But because of his grace, it is. He wants to be your father. And that's everything. J.I. Packer says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, 
find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. This is everything. So let me ask you, if you really believe this was true, if you really, really believe that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection kind of worked, that, that you're totally forgiven, that you're genuinely accepted, that God loves you to bits, if, if you really believe that God's your father and you're his child, how would that change your prayer life? What would that do to the kind of prayers you pray? How would that free you to pray more or differently? See, the trap I fall into every time I come to a New Year's resolution is that I think if I pray more prayers or or pray better prayers, then maybe, just maybe, I can make my prayers more acceptable to God. But that's so very silly, isn't it? I can't make my prayers acceptable to God because Jesus already did that. He's already my Father and He wants to hear me talk to Him. That brings us to our third point, our prayers. As the band comes up, how do we actually do this? How might we practice the fatherhood of God? There's so many ways, but Jesus offers one suggestion in our passage, and it's a prayer. He says to his disciples, don't use stacks of elegant words, don't use heaps of pomp and ceremony to pray, Just, just pray something like this. And then the prayer he gives them is incredibly simple and deeply relational. It's incredibly simple and deeply relational, and it begins with these beautiful words. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. He he tells us to talk to God like he's actually dad. As if he really listens, as if he really cares, as if he really knows us. See, see, here is an invitation to run straight past the guards into the throne room and have a conversation with the king. Unfiltered, unscheduled, just tell him about your day and ask him for stuff. Are you kidding? It, it's the gift we have with God as our Father. And if this kind of prayer makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, if it doesn't feel proper enough, if it feels too easy, then you're starting to get just how crazy this is. Because that's how everyone around Jesus is feeling when he teaches this. There is no way known that a God like him should want to have anything to do with us, but he does. He cares about what you have to say to him. He wants your attention. And he wants your affection and he loves to listen to you when you pray. So this year, let's pray. Because we can. Because God's our Father and he loves to listen. 
because of God's grace, we get to practice the fatherhood of God by praying prayers like the Lord's Prayer. Allow me to quote N.T. Wright as we finish. He says of the Lord's Prayer, we don't yet have the right to say this prayer, but it's part of the holy boldness, the almost cheeky celebration of the sheer grace and goodness of the living God that we can actually say these words as though we really mean them through and through. And that, of course, is exactly what the Lord's Prayer invites us to do. The Lord's Prayer invites us to practice the fatherhood of God, to rejoice in the fact that this God has become this close, to to do something a little bit cheeky and talk to the king as if he's our father. So before we sing, we're going to stand and say the Lord's Prayer together. We'll use the version in Matthew, so there might be a few lines missing that you're familiar with, but we'll just read the ones in our verses. So please, let's stand together, practice the fatherhood of God with these words. Together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.